welcome to Truth Triumphant Radio. I'm your host, Cody Mori, and today we're going to be talking about evolution science versus Bible science. And why? Why are we going to be talking about that? Well, because on the last episode, we sort of ended it with uh, some of the quote-unquote undeniable proofs of evolutionary science. So now that we've sort of looked at that aspect, I want to actually look at some of the other evolutionary science and how it sort of stacks up with Bible science. And I want us to keep in mind the, the warning, uh, and regardless of whether you're a creationist, an evolutionist, a skeptic, an agnostic, or, or whatever, it'd be good to keep this, uh, this passage into consideration regardless. It's from Romans chapter 1, verse 20 to 22, and I just want you to keep this in mind. Okay. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. So, interesting point there that the Apostle Paul is making is that the God of nature, or in nature, in science, in other words, you can clearly see intelligent design at work. Okay? However, as man became corrupted, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, and they weren't thankful, but they became vain in their imagination. So they became vain. They rejected it. They rejected the truth before their very eyes, if you will. And their hearts became darkened. Okay, so when you're when your your heart is darkened, then you don't obviously you don't have light. And in in the Bible, light is is knowledge, understanding, and knowledge specifically an understanding of God. So their foolish heart was darkened. And interesting, the common plea of the agnostic of the evolutionist, and this really is 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 something that's very prominent. You see this with Richard Dawkins and um, Stephen Hawking and others. They all believe themselves to be very wise, intelligent individuals. And what do they usually do? They point the finger at somebody who has faith and believes, and they say, they say, you know, oh, that person has, you know, Christianity is a crutch or whatever you hear. You know, they, they'll say different things. Um, I've I've mentioned before I've seen that that poster where it says you pray for me, and I'll think for you, as if people who pray don't think. So that's why we're going to go into this. We're 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 going to be thinking, uh, individuals here, and really just look at some of the facts when it comes to evolution science versus Bible science. But keep that in mind. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. So if 
if the Bible's correct, then the individuals that are professing to be wise would actually be the fools many times. I wouldn't say every time, but as a, a, a general rule of thumb, of course, there's always exceptions. In the last episode, we talked about Ernst Haeckel and his ontogeny recapits, recapitulates phylogeny, which was deemed to be a hoax. Uh, he promulgated it in 1860. And even, I have a quote here from the evolutionist Stephen Gould. Okay, so this is an evolutionist speaking on Haeckel's uh, false science that he put forth, where essentially he, he showed that the, or, you know, falsely showed that the embryos of chickens, pigs, and humans all go through, like, their evolutionary cycles, also fish. Okay, they all go through the evolutionary, their evolutionary cycles to get to where they are at in the embryonic stages, essentially. This is what Gould said. Haeckel's forceful, eminently comprehensible, if not always accurate, book, appearing in all major languages and surety exerted more influence than the works of any other scientists, including Darwin, in convincing people throughout the world about the validity of evolution. Haeckel had exaggerated the similarities by idealizations and omissions. Okay, so he, he exaggerated them. He made them look more similar than they actually looked. And then he omitted the parts that didn't look the same also. So essentially, he really he changed the drawings themselves of what the embryos looked like. Continuing with the quote, he also, in some cases, in a procedure that can only be called fraudulent simply copied the same figure over and over again. Haeckel's drawing never fooled expert embryologists who recognized his fudgings right from the start. Haeckel's drawings, despite their noticed inaccuracies, entered into the most impenetrable and permanent of all quasi-scientific literatures, standard student textbooks of biology. Interesting. Evolutionist Stephen Gould says that Quasi-scientific literature is standard student textbooks of biology. And I read a quote from a biology textbook last week. Interesting. Once ensconced in, in textbooks, misinformation becomes cocooned and effectively permanent because textbooks are copied from pre previous texts. We do, I think, have the right to be both astonished and ashamed by the century of mindless recycling that has led to the persistence of these drawings in a large number, if not a majority, of modern textbooks. He said that in March 2000 in Natural History. So there you have it right there. An evolutionist upset with Ernst Haeckel for producing false evidence, false science, essentially, false science. And he has every right to it because false science is, and it's, he's saying it's still entrenched in the modern textbooks of today, and you can still find them in the textbooks today. You can find the em embryology uh, argument of evolution within there. It's all forgery. It's a fake. It's a lie. It's not true. But this is the science of evolution. And 
even the evolutionists themselves, the honest ones, think that this is, is shameful for the scientific world. All right, another example. Piltdown Man. In 1912, the remains of the earliest Englishman were found in a gravel pit by amateur archaeologist Charles Darwin and the Jesuit priest, remember this name, Pierre Telhard de Chardin. Now, de Chardin or de Chardin, it depends on how you pronounce it, but he's also known as the father of New Age, okay, or uh, father of the New Age movement, okay, because he wrote a lot of pantheistic sort of strange things. Now, he's a Jesuit priest in the Catholic Church. Keep that in mind also. Uh, we'll come to that at a later time, but for right now, both of these amateur archaeologists were involved in in finding in a gravel pit, discovering in a gravel pit, the remains of what they called the so-called earliest Englishman in 1912. Okay, about 40 years later, in 1953, uh, South African anatomist Joseph Weiner proved that it was a hoax. Turns out the human skull and orangutan jawbone uh, were actually stained brown and placed in the gravel pit. Now, what's interesting, what's really interesting about this is that during that, that period of time before it was proven to be a, a hoax, this was heralded as absolute undeniable proof for evolution. In fact, there were over 500 dissertations that were written on this very subject, the Piltdown Man, as proof of human ape-like beginnings. Isn't that interesting? In an article in The Conversation, September 29th, 2016, entitled The New Twist to the Who Done It." In Science's Famous Piltdown Man Hoax, they stated this. Almost immediately after Piltdown announcement, Tailhard, that's Deschardin, wrote to his Jesuit friend Felix Pelletier, with whom he had collected fossils in Sussex. He said this. We must do nothing. We must wait for the criticisms that will follow. Marcellin Boole will not be taken in, especially because the finds are English. Now, uh, Marcellin Boulle, for those of you who don't know, he, he was a, an eminent French prehistorian. That's what the conversation says. That's what the article says about him. Continuing with the quote, <clears throat> this is from the conversation, not uh, Deschardin anymore. This convinced me Tailhard knew from the very beginning that Piltdown Man was not genuine. I am not, as I should as I should point out, the first to suspect him. Distinguished scientists like Louis Leakey and Stephen Jay Gould, again, have previously suggested that Tellhard was involved in the Piltdown case. Gould was strongly suspicious about Tellhard because the hinge between the jaw and the skull, known anatomically as the condyle, was broken. In 1920, Tailhard had stated that the Piltdown mandible might have been de deliberately broken. Okay? So, what you have here is you have 
individuals in the scientific world and they're they're bringing false evidence to the floor to prove evolution you have individuals coming onto the the public world stage and publishing false science in order to prove evolution that's what you have going on that's what you have going on and this this goes on right up until our very day and why if if evolution is true why would it need if it's true then it should prove itself why would we, why would we need the hoaxes and these aren't small hope these aren't like a small side issue at some point these are major movements in the scientific world that rocked the scientific world and really the theological world at the same time because it was heralded as undeniable proof of evolution you know back in the colonies there were many of the states had clauses within their con their personal constitutions of the state that stated that an atheist could not be a witness in court because the fact that they didn't have the fear of God before them meant that they were someone who is probably untrustworthy well what are we seeing in the world these are scientists these are supposed these are supposed to be our, our best and brightest our most trusted but what are they doing they're lying to us to push what upon us evolution <clears throat> but it's interestingly enough the Bible talks about this in 2nd Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 10 through 12 it says with all deceivableness of unrighteousness and them that perish because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved and for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness so really interesting quote there from the Bible it says the people that receive not the love of the truth in other words they don't want the truth God sends them strong delusion that they should believe the lie and then what happens um, and, well the reason why they the reason why people want to believe the lie instead is because they had pleasure in unrighteousness that's what that's what the Bible says which is interesting that's the reason why but they that they should believe the lie and in other words sort of become like a self-fulfilling prophecy where because you believe something so much that you begin to actually see evidence of it where evidence does not actually exist and you could see this in the psychological world that that that's actually what it's called self-fulfilling prophecy if you and it happens a lot of times a lot of times in sociology and we don't even we don't even know we're doing it I'll give you an example if you if you before you meet somebody let's say that you're gonna meet this new coworker 
and uh, you know, it's a male, older male, in his 60s, 70s, or something like that. Let's call him Frank. And uh, you find out from the other colleagues before before you actually meet him that that Frank, uh, you know, he hates pretty much everybody. He doesn't like to talk to anybody. Uh, they think he's raped a couple kids. Uh, his wife left him because he took all her money or something like that. And, and you get all these negative, really, really negative. You don't know if they're true or not, but they're all these negative um, information about Frank. All right Now, let's say, just for argument's sake, that everything they heard about him was not true. Okay. Now, when they meet, the person might be because of, especially because of some of the things mentioned, they might they might be very distant, very cold toward Frank. And then you might find that as you're distant and cold towards Frank, that Frank is also distant and cold towards you. That would be a self-fulfilling prophecy because because you've treated Frank in the way that you thought he was, even though he wasn't, he has become what you thought he was. Does that make sense? It's kind of interesting how that works. But anyways, we have a couple more to go through. Nebraska man. Nebraska man was discovered, quote unquote, in 1922. This is what they discovered, folks. A tooth. A tooth was discovered in Nebraska in 1922. And after that, pictures of a human ape specimen started to appear in like the scientific journals of the time. However, in 1926, the rest of the skeleton was discovered, which revealed that that one tooth, who they built an entire body from, belonged to an extinct wild pig. Now, whether it's an accident or not, you, how do you base an entire specimen on a tooth? How would you know? And, and the answer you're going to hear from a lot of people is, oh, it's just this, this real, you know, in-depth scientific uh, thing that you, you just can't understand. Really? If they found it to be a wild pig, wouldn't that call into question the evolutionist scholarly ability to rightly discern those things? If a tooth was in fact found and they tried to build a, a missing link body out of it, uh, which they made drawings, okay? They tried to build a missing length tooth uh, body from a tooth, and they find out that tooth actually belonged to a pig. That's, that's the type of science that you get from this side. That's the type of science. Folks, that's not science. That's a lie. That's a, uh, we got to call it what it is. That's a blatant lie. And during the Scopes Monkey Trial, right around that time and before, uh, which the individual talking about whether evolution should be taught in the schools or not was William Jennings Bryan. He actually ran for president at one point. Um, and Dr. Henry Fairfield Osborne, head of the Department of Paleontology at New York's American Museum of Natural History, he wrote this to William Jennings Bryan. He stated, 
The earth spoke to Brian from his own state of Nebraska. The Hesperopithecus tooth is like the still small voice. Its sound is by no means easy to hear. This little tooth speaks volumes of truth and that it affords evidence of man's descent from the ape. See, they, they, they find this tooth and then that's undeniable scientific fact that man descended from apes. And that's what they, that's what they push. But was it true? No. In, in a very short amount of time, it was found that it wasn't. Um, for the sake of time, we're not going to go into too many more. I want to get into the Bible science side of it. But I do want to point out a couple other hoaxes that we'll just mention. You had the Java Man in 1891. The Archaeoraptor in 1999, where National Geographic, to their own shame, uh, National Geographic magazine, November 1999 issue, talked about a turkey-sized animal as a true missing link in, in the complex chain that connects dinosaurs to birds that could actually fly. Found out that was a hoax. The Stone Age artifacts discovered by Shinichi Fujimura from 1981 to 2000 where he dated most of his fossils from 40,000 to 600,000 years old. However, November 5th, 2000, Minichi Shambun newspaper published pictures of Fujimura digging holes and burying artifacts which of course he later discovered up into right around 2004-2005 time frame. Reiner Proch von Zietzen, anthropologist at Frankfurt University, was forced to resign by the university after it was discovered that he falsified dates of Stone Age fossils, including Han Hoferson Man, which supposedly linked humans to Neanderthals. So, many, many times... And so far, every time that there has been a undeniable proof of evolution, it has been found to be a lie, a the work of of misleading, intentionally misleading so-called scientists. Many times, these people have been sued. Many a times, the evidence has been built on very little. To go off of to begin with such as the tooth that we mentioned this this is the modus operandi that you find in the evolutionary scientific world and many of this stuff this is what's so sad many of this stuff is still in the textbooks that's why that's why Stephen Gould he said that it's like the permanent holding house of misinformation is the student biology textbook said right from the mouth of an evolutionist however on the other hand we have bible science and there's really there's really quite a lot to go through but we'll just we'll just do a a small amount here for the sake of time but Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, states this. 
for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. Bloodletting was considered a scientific, uh, well, it was a treatment. It was a treatment plan really throughout the 1800s. Throughout the 1800s. In fact, it is believed that George Washington died because of bloodletting. Essentially, he got a cold and a swollen throat. And they, they, the doctors took him in and they just started bleeding him. Bloodletting him, you know. Bleeding out all of his blood. It's, it's assumed that about 40% of his blood was, was bled from him. And then he died from cardiac arrest and other, other things that are associated with the loss of blood. The slow blood pressure and every, low blood pressure and everything else. And it was, it was said in the Old Testament in Leviticus that the life of the flesh is in the blood. Therefore, if you're sick, what you need many times is a, you know, blood transfusion, some way to get more healthy red blood cells in your body, not taking the blood out. That's the exact opposite of what you need many times. There's always an exception, but many times. Also, our second, our second one that we're going to look at today is Job chapter 26, verse 7. It says this, he stretches, he stretches out the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing. He hangeth the earth upon nothing. He said that in the Old Testament. When that book was written, that book is believed to be written by Moses. Okay? It's not one of the books of Moses when they refer to the books of Moses. But it's believed to be written by him. And it says that he hangeth the earth upon nothing. Isaac Newton, he discovered gravity in 1687. 1687. And that's when scientists began to understand that the Earth's, Earth's gravitational pull along with the sun's gravitational pull is actually what keeps the Earth in orbit, literally hung upon nothing, as Job chapter 26, verse 7 stated. Isn't that amazing? I mean, thousands and thousands of years before Isaac Newton, who was a, an avid Christian, actually, in, in fact, he wrote more about the Bible and prophecy than he did about science. I don't know if, uh, if, if everyone here knows that, but that, that is a fact. He, he was a very religious individual. And interesting, 1687, that's when gravitational pull is understood, and that's when it's understood that the Earth is held in orbit through gravity. Gravity, of course, is a force which we cannot see as it were, hang, hanging on nothing is the earth. Now, in mental health and cheerfulness or positivity, Proverbs chapter 14 verse 30 says this, A sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy is the rottenness of the bones. So in other words, a happy heart or sound heart, or positivity is the life of the flesh, but envy or sin or jealousy is the rottenness of the bones. 
I wonder if one day we will find that if we'll ever be able to see or maybe something already exists that there is some type of bone marrow rot or some some type of plasm uh, plasma rot that goes on in your bones when you are a sinful person I wonder if they'd find something like that in the future that'd be interesting to to stay tuned for but Proverbs chapter 17 verses 22 says this a merry heart doeth good like a medicine but a broken heart dryeth the bones. Now, Johns Hopkins has found that people with a family history of cardiovascular disease who also possess a positive outlook are one-third less likely to suffer a heart attack or other cardiovascular event within 5 to 25 years of those with a more negative outlook. So there's actually, in a way, clinical studies to show that and you see this you see this all the time people who are positive and who are you know very optimistic about things they they rarely get sick and if they get sick they they don't usually let it take over them but if you if you know somebody who's negative there are many times they're they're going through dip, bouts of depression um, or they are they're sick and they get very sick for a couple days or so on and then they're able to come back but it seems like the sickness just hangs on to people with more of a negative attitude longer than it does with people with a positive and again that's stated in Solomon's day in Proverbs in Solomon's day about 3,000 years ago just about 3,000 years ago <laughs> another one from Job Job chapter 38 verse 16 it says how hast sorry hast thou entered into the springs of the sea or hast thou walked in the search of the depth springs of the sea you know that in the ocean there are actual springs of water jetting up high th uh, high thermo water high temperature water rather there's springs in the bottom of the sea. Guess when they were discovered? 1970s. 1970s they were discovered. Isn't that amazing? A few others. The wind patterns of the earth. The actual wind patterns of the earth. The clockwise manner of the wind patterns of the earth. Are found in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 6. Cleaning hands should be done with running water. Not stagnant water. Should be running water, according to Leviticus chapter 15, verse 11, which even in the 1800s they didn't really understand yet. The air has weight. Job chapter 28, verse 25. And there are many more. The, the Eden diet is... in along with the vegetables that were added later after the fall of man, are the optimum, really, health regiment for human beings. They, they thrive on the natural foods. Absolutely thrive off them. And that's what we see in a lot of these, these new health things that are coming out, like uh, forks over knives, what the health, um, and others, you know, they talk about health issues and really 
as far as Dr. Campbell himself, what he recommends is a whole, what they call whole foods plant-based diet, which is the Eden diet. It means no. It really means no processed foods, no preservatives, no, no fast foods, and no meat. And it's right there in the Bible in the Eden diet. Not that God did doesn't allow meat at a later time. He did, uh, but at the times we're living in now, it seems that all the meat that we find seems to be infected in one way or another, either with steroids or with antibiotics. It's just not natural. It's not the same as it was before. So perhaps a lot of the answers to the health uh, problems that people have nowadays is going back and looking at the Eden diet, the diet that God chose for man. And as I suspect, as we continue through the years, that we will find that every time the Bible, because the Bible is really about salvation, it's about knowing God, it's about the gospel truth. But in those side notes where it mentions scientific principles, I suspect in, in the next years that those will, those will be proven true over and over again in different ways. Well, that's going to do it for our show today. I hope this was a blessing to you. If not, I hope it was at least interesting information. Uh, to summarize, we, we just basically, what we've shown is that the Bible, every time it mentions a scientific principle, it is found to be accurate. Whereas evolution and really trusting in the, uh, as they say, the, the arm of flesh, man's wisdom, professing themselves to be wise, they've been very foolish uh, when it comes to Ernst Haeckel or Nebraska Man or Java Man or some of these other Stone Age fossils that have been falsified, many times evolution is pu pushing, pushing forth false evidence. Whereas the Bible, every time, has been proven to be correct science. So which one should we trust? I cast my lot with the Bible. Thanks for listening to the show.